0: Indeed, O oh God, we are people who find submission to You, our absolute delight. We all, or so many of us, bear the scars of wandering from that position of yieldedness. We remember what it was like to do our own thing and make our own plans and, and see them explode all over us. And we've learned lessons, many of us the hard way, that... The center of your will is the place where we are the safest. And so we come this Sunday morning to once again return to that place where the sovereign potter of the universe, the one who is our maker and redeemer, the one who has loved us in Christ Jesus, we come to yield ourselves all over again to you, O God. It is our delight. Forgive us wherever wandering from that path, that posture of yieldedness. Father, accept our worship this morning. As Mark has reminded us, we are here because there is an audience of one that awaits us. An audience of one that gives ear to what goes on in these pews. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we offer our worship to you, that you will indeed get pleasure from what you see springing from the hearts of your people. Now, Father, we do continue to pray for the world in which we live. It is a mess. It is one that one small event could trigger and ignite global conflict, and we pray, O oh God, that you will guide our president, and that you will give him wisdom from on, from on high, and that you will use him and this country to bring peace, but to make decisions, O oh God, that would benefit not just our country, but the entire world. Open doors for the Christian gospel to go forth into the Muslim world, O God. Open doors so that we can bring the light of truth to men and women who think that it would please you to kill 3,000 other people. Now, Father, accept our gifts. They are small, but they do represent that we love you. And we are eager to make sacrifices so that Jesus Christ can be exalted from pole to pole. We commit ourselves to you afresh and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and um, turn to Acts chapter 4, and we'll read a passage that will explain why you just saw what you saw. Acts chapter 4, as we continue our um, study of the book of Acts, Acts 4 beginning at verse 32, you follow in your copies of God's word. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. By the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look. The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed." The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This first paragraph that I read out of chapter 4, which I believe to be a part of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, really is worthy of a sermon all of its own. It should, we probably should have spent one Sunday on 32 through 37 but not wanting to make this uh, uh, series on Acts even more of a marathon than it will already be, uh, it seems to me that that portion, verses 32 through 37 of chapter 4, is really a part of the story that I read you out of chapter 5 uh, concerning Ananias and Sapphira. There are a couple of things that I would love to take time to spend looking at out of chapter 4. Uh, for instance, the person Barnabas is introduced the man whose name is translated son of encouragement. Uh, he is a real figure as you, uh, as the book of unfold, a real important figure as the book of Acts unfolds. But we'll see him a little bit later. And then that statement to in verse uh, 33 about great grace was upon them all. I, we can spend time on that. But again, the reason that I've chosen to include it, uh, with this other story is because I really think it's a part of that story. And I, I, um, I want to hasten our study of Acts along. Now, there is two th- I mean I do want to read you those two verses that open up verse uh, or chapter four, just because I want you to get a feel for the beauty of this early church. Let me read you verses thirty two and thirty three again This is what the church was like. You know there are some of you who are here today that are church shopping, and we have those every Sunday morning. my condolences that is that you 're church shopping because uh, it 's not a fun thing to be doing that is. Shopping for churches and putting kids in the nurseries, and I know that's a burden for you. But I want you to know, if you find one like this, go to it. Uh, don't come back here. If you find one like this, this is the one that you need to go to. It's described by Luke like this. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the p- things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is a portrait of a church that I'd like to be a part of. Just that part about, and great grace, <coughs> pardon me, great grace was upon them all. Oh, I wish that could be descriptive of us as a church, and um, hopefully it is, or will be. But, gang, did you notice how quickly, uh, how soon we are introduced to the same church that contains scandal? The scandal of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, guys, one of the things that the world loves to say about us is that we're filled with hypocrites. Well, there's some truth to that, is there not? But one of the things that I love about the Bible, I say this from time to time, is the abject honesty with which the, the, the Bible describes the people of God, both good and bad. It gets ready to describe Barnabas, and it tells us wonderful things about Barnabas. And then, only verses later, it tells us about two other people who were part of the same church of which Barnabas was a part, and their names for Ananias and Sapphira, and they, ladies and gentlemen, cause a big Stink. And the stink uh, has to do with the fact that Ananias and Sapphira are phonies. They're hypocrites. I I can't say this. The Bible told us there were hypocrites among us long before our critics told us. And I love that about the Bible. I love how honest it is to not sweep anything under the carpet and tell us exactly what is true about us. These two people, a part of the Christian church, were hypocrites. Don't you hate that word? I mean, they're out there telling us what hypocrites we're full of, and guess what? It's true. It's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. But the first ones to tell us it was true is the Bible. The Bible will never be guilty of any kind of cover-up. I, I was in the, um, the Germantown Community Center there about 10 days ago working out, and, and uh, a guy came in uh, who's a Roman Catholic, and the reason that I know he's a Roman Catholic is because he has a son who wants to be a priest. And... Um, We've talked on several occasions about his son going to be, going to the priesthood, and he knows that I'm a preacher, and somehow in his mind, uh, preachers, uh, priests, they're all the same thing, and and uh, so he came over to where I was on the bench uh, bench pressing 450 pounds, and and um, uh, and uh, and I had to interrupt my my bench pressing to to chat with him, and uh, and and I hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks, and as he approached where I was, I said, "You've been a bad boy," and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I hate to cover up." And he just began just blithering out these words. I mean, all these words kept flowing out of his mouth about, um, about the great scandal in the Roman Catholic Church today, which is very unfortunate and very uh, sad. But I stopped and I said, wait, 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 wait. I, I wasn't talking about that. I was simply saying I hadn't seen you in a while, and it's, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you in here, and thus you've been a bad boy. And he said, oh, okay. And, and then he right back into this, but I hate to cover up the Roman Catholic Church. Well, you do hate to cover up. And ladies and gentlemen, very honestly, that does make this whole situation that the Roman Catholic Church is experiencing far worse. That uh, it's been covered up, covered up, covered up. But, but, but my point is, you'll never find the Bible doing that. You'll never find the Bible telling you anything about its heroes, but the truth. And they're all tainted with weaknesses and flaws, just like us. And when it comes to get, uh, it gets ready to describe the church, it tells us this, it gives us this beautiful picture of the church in chapter 4. And then verses later, what do we find in the midst of the church? A couple of people who are big, fat, phonies. They're, 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 they're hypocrites, ladies and gentlemen, and all of us hate hypocrites. And, and this story is a rather embarrassing one about that very issue. The dishonesty of two people who are a part of the Christian church. The word I prefer is they were pretenders, kind of like this young man that you saw in the skit. He pretended to be one thing when, in fact, he was not that thing. And, of course, through a set of circumstances, he was exposed. Well, through another set of circumstances, Ananias and Sapphira were exposed uh, in the midst of their wanting to be thought of as highly as was Barnabas. Now, gang, he, here's, here's why I've included chapter 4, verses 32 through 37 in my text. Because what I think the author, Luke, is doing is that he is giving us a comparison. He is giving us a comparison between the real and the phony. Here's Barnabas over here. He went out and sold a piece of land. He brought the proceeds of the whole piece of land and laid it at the apostles' feet because he wanted to see the poor get, uh, get fed and get their needs met. And then chapter 5 opens up with these words. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira and his wife sold a possession too, like Barnabas did. And all the people were kind of really highly esteeming Barnabas. And have you all heard what Barnabas did? I mean, he sold that piece of property and gave all the money. I mean, Barnabas is really somebody that is a, quite a spiritual man in our church. We really like Barnabas. And then Ananias and Sapphira are in one of those conversations, and they say, well, we got us a scheme, too. So they cook up this scheme, they sell a possession of theirs, and they give a portion of it and represent the portion as being the whole thing. Now, gang, don't, don't misunderstand. Th- their sin has nothing to do with the fact that they gave a portion. Or that they, it has nothing to do with the giving. The issue is not whether they gave or didn't give or how much they gave. Or The issue is they represented the portion as being the total. The issue is not giving. The issue is. They're phonies. Don't you hate to be called a phony? A hypocrite? And you know, I want to suggest to you that the motive that they cooked up this scheme is because they loved the approval and the praise that Barnabas was getting. And they wanted some of that stuff for themselves. You know, guys, have you ever heard uh, of the passage in... Uh, you've heard it, I'm sure. It's uh, Proverbs 24:17, I think. Don't, don't don't hold me to that. But uh, where the fear of man brings a snare. You ever heard of that text? The fear of man brings a snare. What do you think that text means? Do you think that what Solomon is saying, "Don't be afraid," with for those old guys with those big biceps like Jimmy Young? Don't be afraid of those people. Do you think that's what the Bible has in view there? That somehow big old bicep Jimmy Young would, this is all a uh, uh, pretense, I promise but um, um, those big old boys with those big biceps are going to beat you up, so don't be afraid of them. Do you think that's what the Bible has in view? Of course not. The fear of man that brings a snare is the fear that somehow people won't approve of me. That the, that the people in my sphere of influence will not think highly of me. And God forbid that they should ever reject me. And all I'm saying is, that is what is behind the lie of Ananias and Sapphira. This desire to be well thought of, just like this young man. He wanted his company and his boss and all the people that he worked with to think that he had a beautiful wife and three kids and they had, they rode ponies on Saturdays. It's that desire to have men applaud me that drove Ananias and Sapphira to cook up a scheme where they lied to God. And by the way, did you notice how Luke equates God and the Holy Spirit? Just an aside, the deity of the Holy Spirit is found there in verse four? Yes. If you lied to God, you lied to the Holy Spirit, but that's not really the point. They cook up a scheme, and the motive behind it is, I want, I want people to think well of me. They didn't give so that the poor could be fed. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't give so that the message can get out. They didn't give so that, you know, the kingdom of Christ can march forward. Oh, no, 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 no. They gave so that they can fatten their own egos. And so that people around them can say, did you see all the work she put in for the women's retreat? Why? That man prays, he goes to every prayer meeting there is in the church. Those are good things, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a good thing that Ananias and Sapphira did by giving them a portion of what they sold. But the issue has to do with the desire on their parts to be thought of as having a certain level of spiritual attainment that they did not have. Does any of that ring true in your soul? Oh, I hope not. But I know better. Vance Havner, who is an old country Baptist preacher, um, said once. He said. Um, it's only Van Savner could say it. Have you ever heard of Van Savner in that old gravelly voice of his? If God dealt with the church the same way he did in the days of Ananias and Zephyra, every church would have to build a morgue in the basement. You know, um, I'm going to tell you in, in a few minutes why I don't particularly agree with Mr. Habner's statement. I'll explain that in a minute. But um, my major concern right now, ladies and gentlemen, is is that spirit of Ananias and Sapphira. Is it is it lodged in any of our souls? Do we need to build a morgue in the basement? You know, that statement kind of makes people chuckle. It, it doesn't make me chuckle. It, it really makes me think. That is, that Vance Havner, if God dealt with people, you know, the same way he did with analyzing the firewood. That doesn't make me laugh. It makes me think. It makes me wonder why. In fact, it, it produces a lot of why questions. Like, why isn't his judgment more obvious in the lives of those who willfully and deliberately disobey him today? Did that question cross anybody's mind? Or why, why doesn't God act swiftly and, and certainly since his, his holiness is being smeared and, and his reputation is at stake? If God is holy, and I know he is, and if God hates sin, and I know that he does, and if he longs for his bride, that is the church, to be a pure bride, and I know that he does, if all that's true, then where is the proof? If I could be a a, a bit more painfully specific, why can one Christian right after the other walk away from his or her marriage with scarcely a hint of overt divine judgment? Or how do professing Christians decide that a homosexual lifestyle is all right... And then go out and live in that lifestyle, and some kind of judgment don't fall on doesn't fall on them as it did on Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? I, I don't have answers to all those questions, but I do have one. I have one answer, ladies and gentlemen, and it doesn't have anything to do with God having changed the way that He deal with us deals with us. Because, ladies and gentlemen, let let me say, here's my answer, and then I'll explain it. Here's my answer. The answer is that the church of the 21st century is vastly different from the church of the first century. Now, I'll explain in a minute, but I'm not talking about buildings or cloud or monies or programs or influence. I'm not talking about, forget all that. I'm not talking about that stuff. What I'm suggesting is, ladies and gentlemen, the difference in the church of the first century in the church of today has something to do with the domination of the Holy Spirit in those churches and therein lies the answer to some of my questions about God's judgment gang in the church of Acts chapter 5 the atmosphere of this church the atmosphere was such that it was impossible for a man to lie in his own heart to determine that he was going to try and live a lie without being detected in this church. Gang, the overwhelming thing about this story here is not the death of Ananias and Sapphira, at least to me. The impressive thing is not that Ananias and Sapphira died. The impressive thing is the purity of the church that compelled the death. The thing that should that should fill us with awe is not the death of two church members. The thing that ought to fill us with awe is the condition of a church that was so dominated and controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit that living a lie was a practical impossibility. This church was such a church that a hypocrite couldn't live in it without being exposed because the Holy Spirit dominated it. Today, the church is vastly different because I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, that we would rather have Ananias of the fire filling our pews than the Holy Spirit of God filling our hearts. One of them has got to go, either Ananias and Sapphira, or the Holy Spirit, because the two won't sit side by side in the same pew. You see, guys, um, my fear is, is that the 21st century church thinks she is being loving or or evangelistic, or growing, or whatever else the church growth folks tell us. When in reality, we've sold our souls. We've uh, we've sold our spiritual inheritance for a mess of pottage. Now, ladies and gentlemen, contrary to what Mr. Havner might have suggested, it's not that God has changed. We have changed. It's not that God is doing things differently. We are. We are far more comfortable having Ananias and Sapphira sit next to us than we are having the Holy Spirit take charge of our church. We're told in this text that the result of this very embarrassing event, we're told that the result in verse 11, is that great fear came upon the church and all who heard these things. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Good, wholesome, godly fear. A fear that made people examine themselves before they walked in the back door. A fear that made people examine and look in their hearts to see if there be, if there might be some spirit of hypocrisy that lurked there. A fear that made people think twice before they chose deliberately and knowingly and willfully to sin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I know, I don't, you may not hear this as often. Uh, maybe you hear it more. Man, and I, I, maybe I'm sheltered, but, but at least a couple of times a year. At least I have people telling me that they're going to walk out on their husbands. They're going to walk out on their wives. And I look across my desk at them and I say, you know, you don't mean this. You can't possibly be serious upon what grounds, upon what possible grounds are you going to walk out on your husband or your wife. And they look look back at me with with zeal in their eyes. And they say, I know I don't have any grounds, but I know this. I know that God wants me to be happy. As a result of the incident of Ananias and Sapphira, a great fear fell on that church. And then we're told in verses 12 through 16 that the fear kind of spilled out the windows and everybody else said, I don't want to be a part of that outfit. Look, look at it. It says in verse 13, yet none of the rest dared to join them. People on the outside said, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to that church. No, sir, e. Bobby. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be a fool if you're going to go to that church if you're playing around. Don't go over there. I mean, if you go over there and you ain't serious, you can get hurt. I don't want to mess with those people. Because those people are dominated by something that I simply do not understand. And I'm not about to join myself with that bunch, because that bunch is serious. And the explanation of all that? The Holy Spirit's domination of that church. Pretenders don't want to be a part of a church where the Holy Spirit dominates. So, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if hypocrisy is a problem in the Christian church in America today, it is a commentary on all of us, including the preacher. The story ends with, on a positive note, We're told in verses 12 through 16 that the church expands and there's healing going on. People dragging their sick friends out in the streets so that Peter's shadow can fall on them. A story that began with destruction now ends in healing. But I want you to note this, ladies and gentlemen. It is the same Holy Spirit that accomplishes both of those things. The same Holy Spirit that struck Ananias and Sapphira Dead. Is also the Holy Spirit that healed multitudes. Gang, it is the pure church that is a powerful church. I challenge you. Go back over the history of the church and see how true that is. Quantity means nothing. Quality means everything. We have lost that sense of purity. That makes pretense impossible among us. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it ought to be difficult. It ought to be difficult to be a member of a church. But it also ought to be the most healing, the most sacred, the most powerful place that you know of. It ought to be difficult to enter any evangelical church in America and be a part of it. Because the Holy Spirit dominates that place. And the Holy Spirit exposes any smidgen of pretense that exists there. I want to tell you a story, and with this we'll wrap up. I read this story recently about a a couple, we'll, we'll call them Jim and Mary. I used to, uh, it, it was very nice when I could just say "Say Joe and Jane. But, you know, we have a Joe and Jane in this church, and so I can't use Joe and Jane. I have to think up new names. Joe and Jane is so easy. That's what they taught us in the first grade, but because of the Joe and Jane, we can't do that. So we got Jim and Mary. But um, uh, it's a true story, and that's why I had to change their names. But Jim and Mary had been uh, married about 25, a little over 25 years um, they had a good marriage. It wasn't a perfect marriage, but it was a good one. Uh, they had three grown kids that loved them, and and uh, had a great relationship with their three grown kids. And they also had uh, enough financial wherewithal to begin to investigate uh, buying a second home on a lake, uh, which they could make kind of a retirement place for them. And so they went out shopping for a this lake home. Um, um, that they wanted to use during retirement. He was close to retirement. And, um, and they found one that they really liked. And it was on the market because um, uh, the wife of the couple who owned the home had died. And so the widower, whose name we'll call Joe, uh, Joe was selling his house because his wife had died. And so they really liked this particular house. And so they went back home to their, their home and, and uh, began, uh, that is Jim and Mary, and began to make some plans about um, uh, how to finance it and how, how, to, how to figure out how to get it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and a few months passed. And just this past fall, Mary walks in one day and announces to Jim that she wants a divorce. And Jim is numbed. And he says, what do you mean? How could you possibly, I mean, we've been looking for a retirement home. I mean, how could you possibly be planning something like this after you and I have been planning on our retirement? And she said, well, it didn't really happen like that. It, it, you know, it really came on all of a sudden. And she said, but now that she was in love, there was no turning back and she had found herself another man. He said, another man? He said, who? Turns out that the widower, Joe, who was selling their, his house, They happened upon each other in the mall and had a cup of coffee. And one thing led to another. And now, Mary was in love. Um, The the, uh, final day of their marriage rolled around and Jim was getting ready to head off to work. He walked through the kitchen and headed to the garage and he turned around to... For the last time, and he did speak to his wife and he said, well, hon, I guess this is the last time that I, and he broke into sobs. Mary was a little uncomfortable. She kind of gathered her gathered things um, hurriedly and uh, jumped in the car and headed off to her new lover. Mary and Joe lived together for two weeks. Joe had a massive heart attack. Lingered for a few hours and died. Now, what do you think I should say next? Should I say, see there? God does judge sin. I can't say that because for every story like this one, there's a hundred stories that appear that people live happily ever after. Well, maybe I should say this, I'm glad Joe and Mary got just what they deserved. Can't say that, because I sure don't want what I deserve. Or maybe I should say, um, well, it's just uh, the outcome of some very sad circumstances for poor Joe and Mary. I don't believe that for one second. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave that story with you uninterpreted. I'm gonna let you provide your own interpretation for it. But um, as you try to figure out what the, what the lesson of that story about Jim and Mary might be, I want you to think about Ananias and Sapphira. And I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself. Am I more like Barnabas? Or am I more like Ananias? And then ask this. Is our church more like this one? Or is it That we've stuffed a lot of Ananias's and Sapphires into our pews. I think, ladies and gentlemen, the way that you respond to the story of Jim and Mary will tell you a whole lot about whether pretense is something that you've grown accustomed to in your soul. Think about it. Our Father, I do thank you for your word. It is a wonderful opportunity to search once again to see if indeed there is within us, in our own individual hearts, the the, the desire to have men think uh, highly of us when in fact we do not coincide on the inside with what we're trying to appear to be on the outside. Oh, how I pray, oh God, that you would fill this congregation with real people. People who, indeed, we struggle, we fail, we are are bruised and wounded and have our own battle scars. But we're real. And we long to be people who have, long to be a a congregation of people who are dominated by the leadership and influence and filling of the Holy Ghost. Father, might we uh, find ourselves less and less comfortable with pretense and more and more comfortable with the sovereign Holy, Holy Spirit Directing our lives. Father, if you have led people here this morning who have not yet met Jesus Christ, might they realize that there will never be any pretense in heaven. No phonies will ever get by the judge of all the earth. That it is only reality that will be acknowledged and a reality that will be rewarded either with eternal felicity and bliss in heaven or an eternal condemnation in hell. Oh God, might our hearts stand confidently before you then. Might they stand confidently before you now. Thank you. That you have found a way to save sinners such as me. And I pray that you will make me more and more real. For Jesus' sake.